Okay, let me just start off just with a bit of history. This is the fourth in our series. And thus far, as we've been looking at heaven, we've had a new heaven and earth, a renewed humanity, the church, a union in marriage to Christ, a lasting comfort, the death of death. Did you know that, did you? That you can kill death. And death has been destroyed. How and where was it destroyed? On the cross. Okay. The full impact of which will be felt in eternity. And then consequently, the end of all suffering. That's heaven. When you think about heaven, you're not thinking of clouds and harps. You're thinking about these realities. Concrete, tangible experiences. Heaven is worth the sacrifice of turning our backs on this world. What did Jesus say the cost of discipleship is? What did he say in Matthew 16, the cost of discipleship? The cross. And that doesn't mean a dangly bit of furniture around our neck. What does the cross mean? Our life. Denying ourselves how often? Daily. Daily taking up your cross. Can you see? It's worth all that because you get all that. Can you see the point? Okay? It's worth the sacrifice. That's some of the elements of heaven. It's some of the ones that we can look at. And there's so much that we don't know about heaven. In fact, even when we're in heaven, there'll be so much that we don't still know about it because it'll be a forever journey of discovery. Okay? There'll be no boredom because it'll be a forever discovery. Now today, as we, we're going to go, we've covered, what, four verses in three sermons? Okay? You're wondering how this guy will ever get through the Bible. Well, today we're going to cover a whole chapter and a bit in one message, lasting approximately three hours and 45 minutes. Okay? <laughs> the reason they're called slow cookers <laughs> is to allow me to get my sermon finished. Okay? Right. So now today we're going to, in about 40 minutes, we, we're going to move from the details of our environment to a focus on the detail of the occupants. Who are the occupants? Well, I'll be, you're not going to be there, are you? <laughs> oh, phew. I guess it's meant to be heaven. Okay. <laughs> Who are the occupants? Who are the occupants? Yes. She's always right, this woman. <laughs> Of course it's Jesus, but in addition to Jesus, it's us. Thank you. So the focus of today in the rest of 21 and 22 is actually the occupants and a bit more of our experience. So let me ask you, someone have a go. Uh, we've got a picture of a church here. It's uh, our church. It was the next one. It was our church uh, at the opening service. Someone, someone described the church to me. I know you might be looking at someone there and you're thinking, no, okay, no, okay, someone describe the church to me. Well, what are we like? Describe our qualities. We've got qualities, haven't we? Friendly. Yeah. Friendly? Good, good one. Kind? kind? What did? Loving? Loving? Joyful? Joyful? Yeah. You are obviously already in heaven, aren't you? <laughs> That's not the word church I know. <laughs> Every church I've ever belonged to has a lot of challenges, okay? <laughs> dysfunctional. Okay, but we can focus on the positives. You know, let's have a moment of dream for a moment. Hey, give us some more positives. Worshipping God. Worshiping God, yes? In Christ. In Christ. 
in a Christ-like way, absolutely. That's what, what you're describing sounds like heaven already. Okay. Yeah. Look, look a couple more. Any more? Yes, there's only repentant people there. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Look, a couple I was going to throw as a couple. Um, where we've got, okay, uh, full act, we've got access to God? Have you ever thought about that? Being with God? Pardon? Being with God. Being with God. We've got access to God. Yeah, that's an amazing thing. Uh, I was going to throw one or two other ones. But look, where we've got illumination. Do you know that you're in the most illuminated location on the planet right now. God's in your heart? Yeah. Every time we gather together, we have illumination. I mean, who here knows Jesus Christ crucified, risen again? Who knows that? How do you know that? Because my neighbor doesn't know it. In fact, tens and tens and tens of thousands of people out there don't know it, do they? You know it because in the church you have illumination. God opens our mind. Now, let me, let me take you beyond church now. If you were describing church then in the future, and if say if you're John, and your task it is to describe the church in the future, you know, a church that's been persecuted, burnt alive, eaten by animals, tortured, this was the experience of the church, and you wanted to tell them about their future, okay? How might you do it? What writing style might you use? Give me some writing styles. Poetry? Or the writing genres? Metaphors? And I want to focus on that one particularly. Let me, okay, I'll stop there because if I, if, I, if I keep doing all the stops, we'll be here all afternoon, won't we? Let me stop there. Okay, metaphors or imagery. What does John, in chapter one of his book, okay, if chapter one, where does chapter one come in the scheme of the books? If you've got 22 chapters, where does chapter one come in the scheme of the book? At the start. Thank you. He's taking a new South Walian to get that right. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, it's at the beginning. Okay, at the beginning, John tells us something about the book. John chapter 1. We're going to have the text there. He talks about, we've got a picture. He talks about, okay, he talks about seven stars and seven golden lampstands. You've just picked up this book. Now, lampstands, stars, what are you to do with that? What do you do with that? What do you do with Revelation? Because as you walk through this book, you've got myriads and myriads of, of these pictures. What do you do with them? Seven lamps, I mean, a lampstand with seven sticks and, and seven stars. What are we to do with this, John? Yeah, but John's writing this book. Come on, man. What am I to do with it? If you're writing a book and you've got all these stuff in there, what would you do with the beginning? If you've got any sense. You would, yeah, you'd explain. What you do? You put a legend. What's a legend? Yes, uh, uh, in a different sense, in a map. Jewish? Yes, Jewish. What are you going to say? Yes, or the legend is the, or the key is the explanation on how you're to read the book. You'd do that, wouldn't you? So here's the thing. John chapter 1, what is the next verse? Revelation chapter 1, rather. Okay, here's what he says. Someone read these for me. So he introduces these, these pictures, and then he tells us what about these pictures. Someone read that to me, and someone give me the explanation. It can be two different people. Someone read it. Catherine, would you read that, please? 
Someone give me the explanation. What's John telling you at the very beginning of his book about his writing style or genre? Yeah, he's telling you that. He's telling you that. So if you're reading Lynn's book and she tells you this is the genre of my book and you ignore it, how much truth will you get from her book? You'll be all over the place, aren't you? If John is telling you that the genre of his book is symbolic, metaphors, imagery, each image has a meaning, okay? If, if we step outside of that, you're going to be all over the place with Revelation. You're going to have the most weird and wonderful, most fanciful explanation you can imagine. In fact, it would be absolutely bizarre to think of a world with beasts coming out of the sky and these two guys calling down fire and killing whoever they want. It's absolutely bizarre. Unless you understand the legend, the key. John is speaking in Revelation through metaphors and images. You have to discern what's behind the images. Does that make sense? And so we're going to do that. Look, I'm going to give you a brief overview of Revelation before we get to 21. Okay, so that's chapter 1. In the next thing we have, the next picture please. In chapter 4 and 5, we have a picture of who, who knows what these are? They're scrolls, okay? And they have to be opened, okay? And eventually, Jesus owns them. What? Does anybody know what the picture, what these refer to in Revelation? Scrolls being opened, only Jesus can open them. What would that be a picture of? It's an unveiling, thank you. There's no real scrolls, dummy, okay? It's a picture of history opening up. What does Jesus do? Who brings about world history? Thank you. Who brings it about? Jesus. Okay. You have later on this picture of these. It's in Revelation 11. Okay. You have these two witnesses, these two characters that calling down fire and judgment. Okay. On the earth. Remember, it's a picture. There's no two guys. Seriously. It's a picture. What could the picture be referring to? Two people, okay, two, and they are bringing down God's effects on the earth. This is a hard one. Have a guess. Pardon? The element of judgment. What does the church do when he proclaims the gospel to the world? It's prophetic. What does it do? Okay, yes, yeah, prophetic. What does the church do when it proclaims the gospel in this world? It is a, it, yes, it does that. It does two things. It saves or it judges. Those two witnesses aren't two people. It's the church bringing to bear God's word. And for some it brings salvation, but for the majority it's the judgment of God. Let me give you another one. That's Revelation 11. Let me give you Revelation 13. There's a beast and false prophets. Anybody, what might they be picturing? Beasts and false prophets. Well, look, the false prophet should be easy. What do you think the false prophet is picturing? Thank you. The beast, it must be, it can only be, who's the beast? Who's the beast? The devil. False prophets and beasts is a picture of what, therefore? What's Revelation saying about the future of the world? 
Yeah, it's saying, and even before the Antichrist, it's saying that the future of Christianity from Jesus' departure is going to be a world where there's what? Yeah, yeah, but in particular, he's saying false religion spurred on by the devil. Can you see? We live in a world full of false religion spurred on by the devil. The next one, Revelation uh, 17, 18. There's a prostitute and a city, okay? Prostitution, what is biblical prostitution about? If you're doing prostitution in biblical terminology, what's that picturing for you? What does that mean? What did God, what was God so angry with Israel about? What did he say they did constantly? Yes, it's about unfaithfulness. It's a world of unfaithfulness to God. And it's a city, it's the world city, it's the world being unfaithful to God. It's a picture of worldliness, unbelievers. Then you have a, a dragon bound up. This is the one a lot of people get hung over, okay? You have a dragon bound up. Next picture, please. You have a dragon bound up, okay, and locked away for a thousand years. Now, remember, it's only a picture. What could it be picturing? Yes. Now, there's, there's differences. Some people think the millennial reign starts when Jesus returns. I personally believe he started when he died on the cross, whatever your belief. But he's talking about the reign of Christ. Okay, the thousand years, in my, in my understanding, is symbolic. And so Revelation goes on like that. If we, if we read the whole book, and if you understand the key, you don't get crazy, fantastical ideas about dungeons and dragons. You just get the future of the church. You just get life. All Revelation, let me bless the bubble. Revelation is hardly ever future. Revelation is just the experience of the church in this world from the time of Jesus to the end. Now, we finally come to 21. 21 is finally about the future. It's about the new earth. And we're going to look at that together. We said already, John is describing, using pictures, as we've just seen, using pictures to describe the church. So we're looking at the church. So here's the thing. In everything that comes up today, if you forget, if I forget, somebody throws something at me, but if I forget we're talking about the church, we're going to go wrong. Okay, so we start in there. We're going to have pictures describing the church. As long as we get that right, today will make sense. Okay, as long as we get that right. So we start with a city. Now you can tell Ali has done my PowerPoint for me because, because I mean, who would put that there? What city is that? It's not Adelaide, is it? No. Okay, we're in Adelaide, right? It's Perth. I think she's missing home. <laughs> Okay, so we'll, 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 we'll go with Perth. Look, we have a picture of a city, and we said the city is verse 2. And I saw the holy city, verse 2, please. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. What did we say that that city is? Remember, remember the picture. Can we go back to that text? Uh, backwards, please. What do we, uh, yeah, just get the verse back up. What did we say that city was? You have to go backwards to one forward. Thank you. We saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. What do we say? Remember, it's a picture, a metaphor of for what? The church. And if you don't believe me, verse 9. Get to verse 9, please. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come. What will he do? I was, so, okay, so stop there. He's going to show you the bride. What does he show him? Yellow. What does he show him? 
the city. If he says, look, I'm going to show you the bride, and then shows him the city, either he's having dementia, and in the, moment, in, the, in the split second between those two events, he's forgotten what he was doing, or what's he saying about the city? It's a picture of the church. That's the church coming down on the planet. Why is she beautifully dressed? We've covered this already. Because Jesus doesn't marry anybody who's ugly. Seriously. His bride is the most beautiful there is. Okay, she's beautifully dressed because she's been prepared for marriage with Jesus. So that's where we're going. We're looking at the church in the new world in Eden. What's it going to be like? Let me, a couple more things. First of all, therefore, I'm going to burst a bubble here. When it talks about the streets of gold, Revelation 21, and we're talking about the church, it says there'll be streets of gold there. Tell me, first of all, what it's not saying. What is it not saying? There's not, okay, it is not saying the streets of gold, okay? Get that out of your mind, seriously. Remember, metaphors, imagery about the church, and it says the streets of gold. It is not telling you, okay, the streets of gold. What, what is it telling you? It doesn't have to be specific, but what is it telling you instead, generally? Well, something like that. We're going to get to whatever it is, but it's telling you this, generally, that the streets of gold is a quality of who? No, 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 no. He's talking. Uh, uh, who are we looking at? The bride. The streets of gold is a quality of? The bride. The streets of gold is not a literal thing in heaven. If you want gold, you have to take it with you. Okay? Right? It's a quality of us. When it talks about this gates of pearls, 12 gates of pearls, there aren't 12 gates of pearls. Okay? It's not talking about the quality of the place. It's talking about the quality of the people. There's a meaning behind that. We're going to look at it together. So do you get where we're going? Now, look, I've got to make this proviso. You may be sitting there thinking, this guy's a heretic. I've always been told that these are real. Look, uh, look if that's your position, hey, you're welcome to that. And I, I do, in all my enthusiasm, I, I want to make some allowances for that. Okay? It's, it's not how, how I see it but the world was here before I was born, okay? So, but we're going to go along. The, the, the key that John gave us in chapter 1, that these are metaphors, imagery. And with that, let's begin. Okay, now, what have I said in the last 20, 10 minutes doesn't count for the sermon. That was just introduction, okay? Here's the sermon, okay? Here's the sermon. Point one, the renewed church is filled with the brilliant light of God. Look at this, verse 11. It shone with the glory of God. Its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel. The glory of God gives it light. The Lamb is its lamp. There will be no more night. Verse 5 is very important to the rest. You see, if you've got all that brightness, what happens to darkness? It's gone. Light and dark can... Can I... Can I could you get somebody give me some water, please? I'll have some of that gin I normally have in it. So look, light and dark cannot be in the same space simultaneously, can they? Okay. Can you, all that light is telling... That imagery is there really to highlight that. Can you see the point? 
Okay, all that means there's none of that. Thank you. Can you see the point? All of that means there's none of that. Here's the thing. We're not talking about real light now. Although I'm, I'm pretty sure it'll be bright. This, glor- this glory, this light, it's a picture, and, and the text says it. It's a picture of God's splendor, God's wonder. It's the light of God. Whenever he enters a situation, all darkness ceases. Let me, someone tell me, what is darkness? You're a first century reader. What do you associate? Look, John does it all through his gospel. Well, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, it was night. Okay, when Judas betrayed Jesus, it was night. You read it through John. He's using light metaphorically. Okay, okay. So if, if you're saying to these first century readers, there's no night there, there's no darkness there, there's only God's brilliant light, what are you saying? What's that picturing? No evil. What else? Elaborate. No evil. Yeah, no fear. No shame. Everything to do with darkness. There's, no, there's nothing bad. No monsters. Nothing evil. Can you see the point? This new, in this new place, the church will be full with the splendor of Jesus. Okay, there'd be nothing bad there. Remember what Jesus said about himself? I am the light of the world. When Jesus comes into a situation, he brings all of the positivity and the wonder of light. It's why these words in 1 Corinthians 6, you may be familiar with them, in the new world, he goes, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? They won't be in that new world. Do not be deceived. The sexually immoral won't be there. Idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexual offenders, thieves, greedy, drunkard, slanderers, swindlers. None of these will be in that new world because that new world is full of light. Okay? And the only way the church will be there, verse 11, and that is what some of you were, Can you see what that's saying about that lifestyle and what the Christian looks like? What's verse 11 saying about that lifestyle and what it is to be a Christian? What's he saying about being a Christian, therefore? There has to be a transformation. If I'm sitting here praising Jesus, putting my hands in the air, clapping, whatever we like to do, and there's no transformation going on in my life, my life still looks like that list, what's that saying? Yes, but what's he saying? There's no, if there's no transformation, you're not going to get in. See, you're not going to get in, you see. Listen to this. See, you won't get in if this hasn't been transformed, because that is what some of you were, but what's happened to genuine believers in the yellow? You're washed. If I'm not changing, okay, if I still live with my girlfriend, okay, after professing faith, if I still rob banks, if I still keep doing everything I was doing before, there's no heaven, because the only ones that go to heaven where there's a transformation going on. Look, that's what you were. Okay? If the church is full of people who are still that, that's not salvation. The church, rather, is full of people who are moving, and it looks a journey, who are moving from that to that. And look, given that may take 20 years of being in church 
Look, if you're an alcoholic, if you struggle with alcohol, it might take you all your life of constant oversight, constant help, constantly someone coming alongside you, someone changing where you live, changing the way you drive to work. And you see, it may be a lifelong journey, but there never must be a movement this way. If there's no movement this way, okay, then there's no heaven. Can you see the point? Okay, God loves all of these people, okay, but they're only going to get into his heaven if there's a transformation. And so in the new world, in the new world, it's a place of light, God's light. Because if all that stuff was in heaven, it just wouldn't be very nice, would it? Okay, first one. Second one, the renewed church is itself the temple of God. The church is the temple of God. That's the point here. Look, verse 16, the city was laid like a square. Let me move on to verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Okay, it's imagery straight from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, if you wanted to worship God, what did you have to do? Okay, uh, we've come here to worship God together. What have you done? Nick, what have you done this morning to worship God? Yeah, and come where? Yeah, but even before you got here, where was God? He was accessible to you. He's accessible now. In the old covenant, what was the proper way to worship God? Yes, the temple. The temple. No matter where you live on the planet, you have to get to the temple. You see, but here, can you see all that is changing? There's a shift now, okay, because there's no longer a movement going on. Because now the temple is the Lord God and the Lamb. Verse 3. Now the dwelling of God is with men. So if, if Jesus is a temple and he's saying he's dwelling with people, where does that put us? What are we in right now? And what will we be in properly in heaven? We'll be in the temple. What is heaven, therefore? What is the new Eden? It's, it is. Let me ask you. Yeah, let me take you back. Some history. What was, I did this in my home group. See, if you're in home group, you'll know the answer. What's the very first, like, three questions. What's the very first temple we've, there's ever been? Who's the very first priest there's ever been? And what was the very first sacrifice there ever was? Have a guess. The first temple, first priest, first sacrifice. Eden, first temple, thank you. First priest? No? No? Adam! Adam, and the first sacrifice? No, no, no. Okay, what did God make Adam for? That's it. His first sacrifice is what have we made him for? What did God make Adam for? To enjoy life on the new earth with God. The sacrifice was to enjoy his life in God's presence. The temple was the earth. The priest was Adam. The sacrifice was him living the life God created him to be. The way Adam worshipped God in the highest way was by being what he was made for. He was made to live. He was made to eat. He was made to have relationship. He was made to enjoy the earth. That was his worship. In the new, in the new one, okay, the new temple is... Now, not just the environment, 
but the environment and the people in Jesus. We are God's presence. What is the, who are the priests there for? We are the priests. What is the sacrifice? What is the sacrifice on the new earth? Yeah, there is that. But it's essentially exactly the same as Adam's sacrifice. What did we say Adam's sacrifice was? Would you say, what was Adam's sacrifice? Enjoying God in his world. What is the new sacrifice? What is heaven? How will you worship God quintessentially in heaven? By enjoying God in his world. Do you see the point? It's because you are the very presence of God. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. And let me, just before I move on to there, let me ask you, what shape are we in heaven? Next verse. Thank you. What shape? Someone give me. Someone take the words and make a shape. What shape? It begins with a k. Yeah, we're a cube. Okay, you're a square head. By your own profession. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, we're a cube. What? Because the, 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 it's, it's about 12,000 stadium length, high and wide. That's describing the city, which we said is the church. Why is the church been described as a cube? It's like a bit more. Someone have a go. Why? Why are we described like a? Pardon? Not quite that. There's something else. It, it's. Maybe that's related, but there's a, there's a real obvious... When you hear this, you'll be kicking yourself. Why are we described as a cube? Why is the, perf- the place where God's presence dwells most perfectly in the church in the future, why is that described as a cube? I'll give you a clue. Tell me the only cube in all of the Bible except for Revelation. You're getting close. Describe it. Someone describe it. There's only one cube in all of the Bible except Revelation. What is it? He's close. No, that wasn't a cube. That was elongated. There's one cube in whole of the Bible. I'm getting a sore throat. A bit more. That's the tabernacle. Go deeper. Go deeper. The holy of holies was the only other cube in the whole of the Bible. 1 Kings 6.20, the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, was, what shape is it? It's a cube. What was the Holy of It was a place where what dwelt perfectly? The presence of God. If you're now the church and you're described as an expanded cube, what is that saying that you are in heaven? Yeah, you are the most perfect place for the presence of God. You and I are the perfect temple. Perfect in dimension. Top, length, length, width, uh, whatever. Okay? Okay. And height. Right? Yeah? Okay. We are the perfect presence of God. The Holy of Holies in the new earth is not a room. It's you. God dwells in you perfectly, hence 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's cube where his presence dwells? Next one. The renewed church is a place of security. Listen to this verse 12. Sounds like a prison. Listen. It's a great high walls. 
And if you thought the height wasn't bad enough, he got he won't jump over those. Look how thick they are. He, he measured his walls, and he was 144 cubits thick. So it's not only high, it's thick. Massive walls, okay? Huge walls. Let me tell you, someone tell me, someone help me out. You, if you had a city in antiquity, what must you have in order for civilization to, 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 to prevail? You have the foundation, something else. Directly, no, directly from these verses. Have another guess. Directly from, what does every ancient city need? Walls. Catherine. Walls. Because if you didn't have walls, what happens to you? You get invaded, you get conquered. Without a wall, without a wall, you're in absolute danger. Can you see, if this is taking this terminology, if you've now got walls in heaven, really high, really thick ones, what's it telling you? Yeah, it's not, in, it's not imprisonment. It's, it's not stopping people getting out. It's stopping people getting in. What's it telling you about the quality of heaven, new earth? The quality of the church in the new earth? With a place of security. Nothing bad gets in there. There's no danger. No evil is going to lurk there. Because we are protected. Surrounding us is this high wall. Would you move on? Please uh, just move on to the picture, please, Robin. Back in April, April the 21st, Easter. You remember this? What was it and where? Sri Lanka. Three bombs. I mean, Pete was there soon afterwards. Three bombs in three luxury hotels and three church buildings during the service. Killed 259 people. Okay? Why? Because in this world, there's no security. There's no protection. Even now. I mean, God forbid anybody would do anything to us, but that door opens the minute you walk up to it. And we are regarded as hostile by many people in our world. Okay? But the new world. Remember, these are people being thrown to lions. The new world has high walls. Which means that when the Roman soldiers come, they can't get in. Okay? They can't climb over it. It's too high and it's too deep. It's a place of absolute protection. Safety. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. I mean, I think the, the, the description of this wall, I think it's meant to convey that the security wall is something, is something of wonder. It's not something bad. Big, brown building blocks. It's, it's, this security is a positive thing. And so in the new world, friends, I think we'll see the fulfillment of Psalm 23. We'll have Psalm 23 up there. That is an eschatological psalm. Excuse, excuse the mouthful. Someone explain what that means. We all read this psalm incorrectly, okay? This is an eschatological psalm. What does that mean? It's, it's a future. David, okay, David could write about these things and sing about these things because his kingdom was a picture of the eschatological future. What do I mean by that? What was David's reign a picture of? Heaven. That's what David's reign is all about. He is a quintessential Jesus character. His kingdom is a picture of the future. 
Okay? This psalm that he penned is a picture of your future. What's, G- what's David saying about your future? You're a, sh- you're a sheep. You're in. When do sheep stop eating? When will you never get a sheep to eat? Yeah. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Or any animal. When will an animal not eat? When it's in danger. What's this sheep? How much danger is that sheep in? How do you know? Because he's lying down. Okay? It's the future in, in heaven, friends. We'll eat. <laughs> That's the point. It means there's no fear. We'll lie down. We're provided for. That's the future of the church. Next one. The renewed church is founded on the witness of the apostles. Founded on the witness of the apostles. I've got to be quick here now. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles. Look, I'm going to just move quickly from here. Look, so these apostles are named in the foundation of this new world. Okay, it obviously doesn't literally mean that the names are inscribed in there. It's a picture, okay? What's that saying about the apostles? What is that saying about Matthew? Yeah, what? Uh, say a bit more, Pam. Uh, about the apostles. What, what, what's the relationship to it? They are. They're sent out. How intrinsic are they to this new world? Yeah. They're foundational. Okay, let me ask you, and this is, this is how I would tell you, this is how you'll know if you are in an evangelical church. Okay, and l- there's, no, there's no such thing as a non-evangelical church. And non-evangelical church is not a church. You don't have evangelical churches and non-evangelical churches. Okay, that's just, when somebody says that to me, I just want to laugh. It's just ignorance. Okay? There's only evangelical churches. Okay? Meaning, I'll tell you what it means in a second. Uh, what is the foundation of an evangelical church? How do you know you are in an evangelical church this morning? The gospel, or, the gospel, or, specifically, it's a word. This is based on that too. There's a bit more. It's a church that's anchored in based on what? The foundation of what? Yes, of the word. An evangelical church is a church that is anchored in the word. That's focused. That's what's taught. Now, what place have the apostles got to that word in the New Testament at least? What were they? How did the word get to us in the New Testament? Holy Spirit through teachings of the apostles. Okay, so we can't get away. You can't almost differentiate between apostles and the word. They were the primary mediums through which we got the word. Can you see the point? Hence why in the, in the new earth, what's their place in it? Foundational. Because a new world is built on, this, on the word. Everything's always on the word. They are foundational because these men, friends, are key to the faith. Coming to us, what Jesus says in Matthew 16, I tell you, Peter, you are Peter. And what's he going to build his word on? On Peter. Because what did Peter do? What did he pen? What did he say? Yeah. 
He spoke the word of God. Can you see? So the new world is built on the apostles. Ephesians 2, you are built on the foundation of the apostles. That means you are built on the word. If you go to a church that's not built on the word, that doesn't have the word central, that doesn't preach the word, doesn't make the word focus, it may not be evangelical. But the new heaven is evangelical. Next one, I've got to finish. Okay, E, the renewed church has open access to God. Look, we've had, we've had high walls, but now we have, verse 12. Verse 12, we've had, we've had high walls. That may sound like a prison. But what do we have in verse 12? Verse 12, please. Uh, you, you're at a point behind. Can we go move forward too, please, to E? Thank you, it's my fault. I'm just, I'm just moving on quickly. Yeah. Verse 12. Someone read verse 12. What's verse 12 got? What does this new world have? It, we, we don't, yeah, it's had a high walls, but something extra. Gates. Gates. What do you have gates for? David, I know you got one. I saw it, and I've been there, and I felt it, and I touched it, and it's really nice. Okay. A front door. Why, does it, why have you got a door on your house? What did you bother putting one in for? He said that when Montez comes, I can have access to who? To you. He's got a door in his house so that I've got access to him. This is imagery, okay? Heaven has got doors all over the place, 12. What's that saying about God? He's accessible. Simple. That's all it's saying. Is accessible. Look, you know what it's like. You try and you try and have a meeting with your M- local MP, or even with a doctor. Okay, what's it like to try and get a meeting with someone important? Heaven has twelve gates, a gate on every face, as it were. Can you see what it's portraying? How accessible is God to the church in the new world? Is always and fully accessible to us. Jesus says, in fact. The thing about this access to God, he's both the access and the thing we're accessing. Look, John 14, 6. Remember what Jesus said? Amazing words. John 14, 6. We'll move on, please. I missed it. Now, here it is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. What's Jesus saying about the access to himself? It's a bizarre thing he's saying. He's, yeah, he's not only... The destination is also the way to that destination. In the new world, friends, that we don't just access God by a door. He is himself the object we're trying to access. So the renewed church has open access to God. F, we've got two more and they'll be very quick. The renewed church partakes of eternal life. 21 verse 1, the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal. What is this water? What's this water of life suggesting it does for the participants of this new world? It's pure, but something else. Brings life. How much life? Eternal. What did Jesus say to the woman at the well? If you knew who I was, you'd ask me and I'll give you living water can you see it's a picture he's promising me he's telling me if there's a river of life in heaven i'm guaranteed of what in heaven eternal life i think that's what he's saying he's telling me he's reminding me that our heaven experience so long as there's a river of life will be for 
forever. And the last one, then the last one, the renewed church is sustained and made complete in God. Listen to this. On each side of the river stood a tree of life, bearing 12 fruits of crop, and the leaves are for the healing of the nation. What's that telling me about heaven? First of all, first quality. Where is it? Next one, please. Uh, uh, what is that telling me about heaven? What quality about my experience in heaven is that telling me? There's going to be a tree. It's going to have yield crops, leaves for healing. What's that telling me about my Pardon? Fruitfulness and? Provision and? What is Catherine? Catherine, we're going to be praying for Catherine on Friday. Why is it necessary for Catherine to have an operation on Friday? Because this is a place of illness. What is that a place of? Healing. It's a place where there is no sickness. Even if there were Every access to health we could possibly want is there, is there. And the last one, I said that was the last one, here's the last one. Okay, H. The renewed church is sovereignly governed by God. This is, this is the height, this is my best point, and I've got no time to go through it properly. But this is the best of all the points I've said this morning. The renewed church is sovereignly governed by God, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in that city. What is the prayer every Christian should be praying, or at least using as the model of their prayers? Okay, that's a good one. But just speaking within the confines of the Bible, did you say something? The Lord's Prayer. Why do I think that's the best prayer, the one we should all be using to shape our... That's what Jesus gave us, and he's pretty good at praying. Who agrees here Jesus is pretty good at praying? Okay, so if he says, this is how you should pray, and you don't listen to him, what are you saying to him? Uh, um, I actually know. Look, Jesus, I don't need to teach him praying. I know how to pray. You just do your own stuff, Jesus, and I'll do mine. Okay? No, when Jesus says, this is how you pray, that's how you pray, okay? Okay? Right, here's the thing. Where is it? Where's Jesus' prayer? Can we have Jesus' prayer? Thank you. What is, what is the center? What comes right at the top, underneath God? The very next line of Jesus' prayer. What is that prayer? What does it mean? It's gobbledygook. Someone tell me what that prayer means. You be what? You be what on this planet? Yeah, you be king. Forget Morrison. Okay? Forget Trump. Uh, I said it's irreverence. Forget our queen. Okay. Because when you pray that, I don't know if you know it. When you pray that, what are you challenging? Whose rule are you challenging? That, as well as who else in Britain? Or you're part, we're part of the Commonwealth? No, who in particular? One lady. One lady. The queen. You're challenging her. Because she holds that right. When you pray that prayer, you're challenging every power base on the planet and you're saying God it all stinks I want who instead I want you as my king Jesus I don't care for any power base on this planet I just want your kingship I want you to reign I want to feel your authority your will your presence and so in the new earth what happens what happens in the new earth verse 3 what happens Okay, I've just done all that. 
<laughs> we can move forward. Oh, what happens? What happens? We get it. Jesus' prayer. Remember we said it's the best prayer because he's God after all. His prayer is answered. When we get to the new world, the Lord's prayer will no longer be prayed because it's been fulfilled. Because he's reigning, what do you get every day in the new earth? Food. Give us today. You get food. Okay. Because he's reigning, what happens to our relationships? Forgive us our sins as we forgive. What happens to our relationships? Perfect. And what happens to darkness? Lead us not into... What happens to darkness? It's gone. The new world fulfills Jesus' prayer. I've said this before, Christian. That prayer has got to model and shape every prayer you pray. Otherwise, you're not praying biblical prayers. And if you're not praying biblical prayers, what does Jesus do with non-biblical prayers? He probably ignores them. Okay? Because he can only do his will. And so the way to get prayers answered is to be sure we're praying prayers. And the, prayer, and the Lord's prayer is eschatological. It's looking to this new world. It's all about Revelation 21 and 22. So Christian, let me encourage you as I finish now. Put your head in the sand. Stick your head as deeply as you can in that prayer. Okay? And live for it. Live for. As you do, whatever you do this afternoon, eating, sleeping, drinking, getting drunk. I mean, George's, you know, sibling and all. Okay? Uh, whatever you're doing, right, let this shape your life. What does Colossians say? It's a very last verse. What does Colossians tell us? We have finished now. Set your minds where? Yeah. Let me blow a, a duff here. You know that pathetic saying, some people are too heavenly minded to be of any earthly use. Have you ever said that in Australia? It's very common in, in the UK. It's pathetic. I have never in all my life ever met a heavenly minded person who is no good in the church. I've met lots of earthly minded people who are rubbish in the church. But I've never met a heavenly minded person who is not of value in this world. Stick your head in heaven, Christian. Put it there. Talk about it, sing about it, shout about it. This week, here's the challenge. Challenge. This week, I want you to sit and talk to somebody about being in heaven. About what it's like. About looking forward to it. About preparing for it. Christian, the reason our journey is so hard and we get distracted and dismayed and off course is we don't think about heaven enough. We don't think about our future. Set your mind on things above. And then nothing, and the things of earth, is him, isn't it, will become strangely dim. How do you face surgery? Huh? To encourage Catherine. How does Catherine face surgery on Friday? Oh. How? She sets her mind on Jesus and his heaven. And when you're there, you can face anything. 
Seriously. If you know that's your future, then nothing now can shake you. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things.